0: You are listening to the Senior Pastor Podcast, where four giants of the Restoration Movement walk us through the issues facing the Church today. Your four hosts are Bob Russell, Don Wilson, Ken Eidelman, and Scott Rawlings. Before we begin, a word from our sponsor.
1: Hi, I'm Brooke Bratzman, CEO and founder of Go Ministries. Go Ministries empowers local leaders to make disciples. After 30 years of leading this ministry, the next generation is taking it to a whole nother level. And I have had the privilege of starting a new area called Go Legacy, where we focus on pastoral care, resourcing new initiatives, and teaching and modeling kingdom generosity. If you'd like to learn more, please go to gomen.org. We all leave a legacy.
2: What will your legacy look like? Welcome to the Senior Pastor Podcast. I am your host, Matt Rawlings, teaching pastor of Christ Community Church in Portsmouth, Ohio. I am joined by four gentlemen with decades and decades of ministerial experience, beginning with right to my left. Ken Eidelman, the former president of Ozark Christian College and senior pastor of Crossroads Christian Church, correct? Scott Rawlings, a.k.a. my dad, the founding pastor of Christ Community Church in Portsmouth, Ohio. Bob Russell, the founding pastor of Southeast Christian Church in the Louisville area. Dr. Don Wilson, founding pastor of CCV in the uh, Phoenix area. And today we have a a special guest joining us, Dr. Bobby Harrington, uh, the head of Renew.org among many other things which we'll talk about. But I definitely want to, Bobby, talk today about Renew, and I want to thank you for driving up from Tennessee to be here with us. And uh, and I want to thank the folks at Southeast Christian Church for making this possible that we could record here. Especially thank you, Ken, for taking the lead on that. Bobby, tell us why you helped start Renew. Yeah, thanks, Matt. It's great to be
3: here, especially to be with, with each of you. Uh, there was a group of us that started renew and the matrix out of which it really came was two things one is i'd been working uh, with discipleship.org and other organizations and i came to realize that if you want a disciple making movement a true disciple making movement in north america you need to have a theology that undergirds it at the same time um, my tribe is christian church restoration Mm -hmm. movement And I was seeing a meltdown in theology uh, in the restoration movement, and I said, somebody's got to be advocating for what we believe because we're living in a time where clarity is really needed. Mm -hmm. So a group of us, including some folks that you know, Tony Twist from TCM and Brett Andrews from New Life Christian Church, as well as a couple of really good scholars from Churches of Christ Mm -hmm. joined with us. And initially, we just said, hey, let's just get a foundation that we're going to stand on. And we didn't know that it was going to go anywhere, but we were just going to make common cause because of the ambiguity and the fog out there. Well, some folks heard what we were doing, and they said to me, because of my experience with discipleship.org, if you will lead it, we'll put some money behind it. And so... We're now a network, a national network. And it's really important uh, to delineate the difference between a website. We have a website that's got great material on what we believe. But more than a website, we're a network. And uh, people need a network and they need a tribe today to uphold uh, crucial beliefs that the culture is not receptive to.
2: Well, along those lines, I want to kind of go back to what we were talking about over breakfast this morning, That a number of people, uh, a couple of things that were noted. Um, First, I know, Bob, you had mentioned that you and Don were speaking about that there is, there's nothing kind of holding Christian churches together anymore. I mean, what, what is there? You notice the North American is kind of gone, bye-bye, you know, so... If I understand you correctly, Bobby, and you correct me if I'm wrong, and then you gents jump in, that's one of the things you're hoping to do for our quote-unquote tribe, Independent Christian Churches, which is to kind of establish a foundation on which we can all kind of connect.
3: Yeah, I would just say that what Renew is trying to do is to uh, emphasize and have clarity on the key beliefs that have been a part of the Restoration Movement from the beginning. We live in a time where ambiguity is our enemy, and the opposite of ambiguity is clarity, but, but uh, avoiding the two ditches of legalism to the right and progressivism to the left. What is the best of the restoration movement theology? How can we champion that? And how can that continue to be the foundation of a movement that was started over 200 years ago in North America? So our desire is to provide that foundation. I think
4: one of the problems we have, our strength has become a weakness. Our strength was every church is autonomous. We're not denominational. But not having any kind of denominational structure has left us vulnerable to division and just a a lack of unity among our churches. Years ago, early on, probably the publishing houses kept us together, and then it kind of moved a uh, 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 central focus would be our Bible colleges. Then the North American Christian Convention kind of kept us a tribe. And in a sense, sometimes the mega church leadership was there. But in recent years, with the uh, demise of the North American Christian Convention and the, uh, just the division of our movement, uh, we don't have anything to hold us together anymore. And as a result, there's not a lot of accountability. And we can be all over the board in beliefs
3: and behavior, and
4: nobody is, is holding individual
3: churches accountable. I, I would argue uh, as well with what Bob is saying is that there was a set of beliefs that characterized the movement. That's why you had publishing houses. They wanted to articulate those beliefs uh, you had Bible colleges that were set up to articulate and train people in those beliefs. And it's the beliefs themselves that are fragmenting. And so the the publishing houses and the Bible colleges, there's not a constituency who cares about those things to support those things anymore. And so we've got to go back uh, deeper into the foundations, back to what are the beliefs? Uh, are they really biblical? How do we promote those and draw people together around the beliefs as opposed to drawing them together around methodology or leadership or technology. Now, leadership, technology, and methodology, they're all really important, but they're secondary to what we believe God teaches in his word.
5: The four pillars that um, unite us, I think, as a movement, uh, the authority of the Bible, the Lordship of Jesus, unity of believers in the evangelization of the world. Uh, those need to be uh, heralded and uh, touted and need to characterize a call for renewal and uh, unity among our churches. The irony is that we're living in a time when our churches are experiencing great growth and uh, and so the loss of identity is a concern to me for the next generation, because we have um, we have more mega churches. I remember back in 1980 when we all met in St. Louis, or like a hundred of us leaders that spent a couple or three days together back then. And the, the issue we were addressing is what can we do to get the restoration movement moving again? Two things came out of that was uh, a vision for... Um, mega churches For larger churches, we wanted our churches to get to the next level in growth and impact, evangelism, discipleship. The second issue was new church planting. And that's where Double Vision came out of that. By 2020, we wanted to double the number of new church plants. And um, so there'd been some, some real great uh, rallying uh, emphasis in the in the past, and, and we really need that today to impact the recovery of our identity. So, <clears throat> Ken, if I can respond,
3: um, I think that when you listed those four beliefs, those four pillars of beliefs, I think that most evangelicals would agree with those. So I would uh, press a little bit and say that we've got to be more distinctive than just those four. I think that in the Restoration Movement, there was a view on baptism, uh, although there was some, you know, um, variability in it, but there's a key belief on baptism. There was the belief on scripture, but there was also belief on elders, what it is to have elders, what it is to have communion, and uh, other crucial issues like uh, there was a consensus on the role of male leadership in the church. And uh, there was a consensus on basic morality. Those things can no longer be assumed today. And the four pillars that you mentioned, unless we dive down deeper, they're not going to be sufficient for the time in which we live. So let me just uh, finish up by saying this. I spent a decade training church planters with Stadia. And uh, certainly in Christian churches, there's been tremendous church planting. Uh, the leadership of Exponential, those guys are amongst my best friends. But the problem with church planting today and in many mega churches is there's no clear theology of those who are planting churches. And oftentimes in the mega churches, uh, for the sake of pragmatics, they're hiring staff that don't have beliefs. Uh, that would represent the best of the restoration movement like I've been advocating Yeah, for. The,
5: When you talk about the authority of the Bible, there's a lot of spinoffs under mm-hmm. that related to the very issues you're talking about.
0: And now, a word from our sponsor.
5: Hi, I'm
1: Brooke Bretzman, CEO and founder of Go Ministries. Go Ministries empowers local leaders to make disciples. After 30 years of leading this ministry, I've turned it over to the next generation and couldn't be more pleased with how they're leading and all they're doing. That allows me to focus on a new area called Go Legacy, where we focus on pastoral care, resourcing new initiatives, and kingdom generosity. Folks, let's face it, if you're connected at all with the church, whether a regular attender, an elder, and certainly if you're on staff, you see the pressures that our leaders are under. It is an incredible burden that they bear and often bear alone. Go Ministries have been privileged to walk alongside hundreds of local leaders right here serving in our own churches. And we wanna do more through counseling, encouragement, and equipping those pastors. But that doesn't happen without new initiatives and new resources. And that brings us to Kingdom Generosity. Folks, God owns it all. And we need to live into that each and every day. Please go to gomen.org and ask yourself, what will your legacy look like?
2: I've been to gatherings of Christian church pastors, where one Christian church pastor will tell me that their, you know, kind of guiding rock is like Jack Cottrell's books on doctrine and what does the Bible say about X, Y, and Z. Um, But then another Christian church pastor will sit over there talking about health and wealth gospel, absolutely buying into it. These are both Christian church pastors who went to the same school. And, you know, so, yeah, that's where I'm, you know, why I wanted you here, Bobby, why I am sympathetic to what you're doing. I, I read through the book you, you edited along with Daniel McCoy, Real Life Theology Fuel for Effective and Faithful Disciple Making. I would recommend it. Um, but, yeah, I I don't know what else to do to bring Christian churches. And I think it's strange that, let me say this, there is still within the restoration movement a pushback against any kind of theology, clear statement of faith. You know, I'm, uh, I went to seminary and then I went to law school. So I tell people, you know, I have a special place in eternity no matter where I end up. But um, having worked as an attorney for Alliance Defending Freedom for eight years, and help them put together all their stuff to protect churches um, from the cultural hot-button issues, you know, transgender, LGBTQ, that kind of stuff, how to make sure that you're not in a lawsuit because you refuse to have a same-sex wedding at your church building or or whatnot. And I will talk to these people and say, you have to have this in a statement of faith. You have to put these lines in a statement of faith because the judge is going to say, if this is a First Amendment issue, why isn't it in your statement of what you believe? And they will say, yeah, but we're restoration. We don't do statements of faith other than no creed but the Bible. So, gentlemen, what do you think? Bob, how would you respond to that, Bob?
4: Well, let let me say on another level. Uh, I'd like to hear Bobby comment on on this. Fifty years ago, when I was in Bible college, I can remember Dr. Lewis Foster saying, I would project that we're coming to a time in Christendom, where we're not going to be divided by denomination. We're going to be divided by those who believe the Bible to be the word of God and believe in the Lordship of Christ and those who don't. And the evangelical world is kind of divided in that way. And I think that there are a number of leaders in our movement who don't feel a need for identity with the restoration movement because they identify with the evangelicals who hold to some of those basic positions. So is there a need? for uh, return to restoration principles in the era in which we're living, in which Christendom is divided into those two sections?
3: My own belief is that um, the idea that the canon of Scripture is the final authority and that uh, the apostolic tradition, which is encapsulated in the New Testament, that God intended that to be the norm for the church of all time. And the restoration movement has simply been saying Let's be careful to follow the canon of Scripture. And I don't think there's ever a time where that appeal goes away. I don't think that, I think it's inherent in the nature of a canon that it is to be the rule of faith and that to call people back to restore, or we would use the language, renew the New Testament church, renew the teachings, we would say, of disciple making, to renew what the Bible says about. A baptism, and those kinds of things. I think that that's inherent in the concept of, of the canon. Now, I also believe that we want to be good friends with the evangelical world because we have so much in common with them. There are many brothers and sisters in the Restoration Movement that we want to be with. But I do think it's a time for clarity, and the broader evangelical world itself is breaking down right now under these same issues. And so if we can be clear-headed about the norm of Scripture, I find that our appeal, let's go back to the Bible and uh, let's, I'm going to use my language again, let's renew instead of restore, but renew uh, what the Bible teaches and let's sit down and talk about it. Uh, I have people like, I'll give you two examples, uh, Carol Swain. Uh, one of the country's leading experts on uh, critical race theory, African-American lady taught at Princeton, became a disciple of Jesus. When we sat down and just talked about what it means to just follow uh, the teachings of the Bible, she, she all of a sudden became a part of what we're doing at Renew. Matthew Bates is a New Testament scholar, young guy in his early 40s, uh, looked at as one of the top new scholars today. When we sat down with Matthew Bates, and talked about, hey, we're just a people, we just want to go back to, to follow Scripture and renew the teachings of Scripture. The fact that we can still make common uh, cause with evangelicals, but be clear that it's Scripture that guides us, not traditions, uh, not denominational labels, I still think that, um, that that that's a true thing that needs to be done.
2: Well, theology, like, like I said, I've, I've had that pushback from the restoration movement about adopting a, any kind of system or, or so forth. But Alexander Campbell wrote a book called The Christian System. Um, so, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's nothing I, new.
3: Can I address that? Yeah. So, uh, in the declaration of address by Thomas Campbell, he actually talked about the benefit of statements of faith and creeds. He was just careful that they not be bound on people. And I will say this, in in the Christian church from day one, there's always been, there's been an oral creed. There's been an oral faith statement. It may not have been written, but there was a belief system taught at Cincinnati Christian uh, that was taught at Ozark. There was like, you knew the basics on baptism, you knew the basics on eldership. So there was a common oral creed. The problem is we're living in a time of ambiguity and of divergent narratives and of people being led more by their feelings and desires, and so we need clarity. And all we're doing at Renew is trying to be clear. Here's what we believe Scripture teaches,
2: and this is the these are the things we advocate for. When you go, so if I can go back and ask these these gentlemen who have so much experience, I mean, Dad, you've been doing this since the '50s. Um, you gents here have been doing '60s and '70s. You've been active in ministry, you know. When you started, did there seem to be a common understanding about Scripture within the independent Christian church? Don, what do you think?
0: Well, I think, I think the difference was when I started out, I was a little rural country church of 100. So my mentors became Bible college professors like James Van Buren or Bill Lowne or things like that. So not only was it taught, it was modeled for me. See, I think one of the dangers today we talk about the mega church. Uh, the mega church, if you're not careful, can become a denomination under yourself. Mm-hmm. And so, they, if they're not careful, who mentors them is the sermon series that they copy, or the conference that they go to, and 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 instead of, I think the problem today is people ask how instead of why. And I've always said, you know. Leaders ask why questions, followers Mm -hmm. ask how questions. So you go to a conference and you buy into their how not understanding the theology behind it. And that's where I think we don't have the clarity and we don't have the megachurches that are even together because Mm -hmm. they are being mentored by different denominational churches or leaders that they look to and they buy into their methods without understanding the theology behind those methods.
2: Dad, did you want to jump in there about when you started? Because you started in the late 50s.
6: Actually, I'd like to go way beyond that. I've got socks older than some of these guys. And <laughs> the, when I grew up in a little church in Germantown, Kentucky, there were three churches in town. There's a Baptist church, there's a Methodist church, and there was a Christian church. All three of those churches believe the Bible. And preach the Bible. The Methodist dry clean people, and the and the and the and the Baptist uh, didn't have communion. And when they did, they asked everybody to leave except members of that church. And that you know, and and everybody knew the five finger exercise that went to the Christian church. Everybody knew it. I mean, my mother made sure of that, and because uh, she was an old line, everybody knew. Those things that Bobby's talking about, they the, the doctrinal principles that separated us from the Methodist and the and the Baptist there in that little town, was clearly understood by everybody in our church. And if you got somebody, if we could steal somebody from the Methodist, which was a whole lot more fun than getting somebody that was truly lost, why okay. uh, we taught them the same thing. I mean it, it, the. And, um, and the preachers would, would, pre- would, would preach those things from the pulpit periodically so that we all knew exactly where we were coming from. And the clarity that Bobby is talking about was there, you know. And I knew what I believed and I knew why I believed it and I could tell somebody else what I believed when I was 16 years old. And today, um, when there's a desperate need for that, in the religious world today, there are people looking for, from and, 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 and if you look at that, you'll see that uh, the, con- the congregations in the country that were really growing at one time, and probably still are, are, um, are the Calvinist. Why? Mm-hmm. Because everything is certain, and people are looking for that. And uh, there, there's more that I want to talk about on why we should be coming together, the unity of the body of Christ and so on and so forth. But I just wanted to address that thing and, and kind of
2: reinforce what Bobby is saying. Yeah, the, the clarity that you're talking about, Bobby, on, on all these issues, I, I want to stress to people listening to this that, um, you know, R.C. Sproul, one of the Calvinists you are talking about, that went to be with the Lord a few years ago. But before he died he surveyed, he was at a Christian book convention and he surveyed all these people working for major publishers. And when they got the surveys back, he said less than 10% could articulate even the gospel itself. Okay, we're in serious trouble if the, those running our publishing houses can't even tell you what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. So where did this ambiguity pop up. You guys have been around the block. I mean, if it was clear in the 40s and 50s and 60s and even into the 70s, when did it start to cloud up that even the independent Christian church began to just, you know, it, its own people became biblically illiterate and, and unaware of these things?
3: So, um, um, one of the um, uh, curses of a former life is I was a philosophy student at the University of Calgary in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, studying this topic called epistemology, which is how you know what you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, even in the 80s, people were uh, describing the fact that there's a fundamental breakdown in our culture and how you can know anything that you can know. And so I, I just think we, we need to start with a broader culture. We can't even get clarity on what is a woman today uh, because it, in our culture, Uh, certain ideas have dominated and what matters more now and uh, Carl Truman in the strange new world is Mm -hmm. pointing this out is not what's really true, but the narrative about what's true. And so for, for us as the people of God who are taught to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, we've got to go back and say, how do we know what we know? And what is it that we know? And so I, I just believe we've got to see this as a, uh, part of a broader cultural problem. I think that we've got to create in our churches, in the hopefully in the power of the Holy Spirit, clarity uh, that emphasizes the things that are essential, that acknowledges the things that are important, and thirdly, uh, acknowledges the things that are peripheral or personal. And the more that our teachers and preachers and leaders are clear on these things, the more the people will be i think we've got to be careful as was often done in the past where people overstated things there was a legalism uh, that over defined and over everything that so many people reacted against that it set them up now to go more progressive where so many people today uh, on sexual ethics on gender there is so much pressure that people want to hold on to jesus but compromise what the scripture says on those things, or better yet, to redefine with a new narrative what scripture says about those things so it's more palatable for our culture. Because we cannot, I don't think, fully understand the pressure in certain uh, places today to capitulate to what the culture says.
2: Well, thank you all, gentlemen. And uh, I would just tell the listeners out there, I hope you enjoyed listening to this. And remember, if you want wisdom, go to those with experience. Talk to you next time.
0: This has been the Senior Pastor Podcast, a production of 1801 Media Incorporated. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode.